This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We've got winners and losers from week 11, and we've got Dan Mullen sending Steve Sarkeesian a fruit basket. Good morning. It is Monday, November 15th. My name is Trey Scott. You're listening to the College Football Daily. We're joined right now by Chris Hummer, National College Football Writer for 24-7 Sports. We had so much to talk about, Chris, that we're skipping the normal three-minute intro of me blabbering and then jumping it with you. I just, I just wanted to get in straight in with you. And uh, I think a lot of people are listening. They might expect us to spend a lot of time on Texas, Kansas. We're not going to do that. We're going to each kind of around the horn style, allow ourselves one little thing to say, and then we're going to move on to the games that ash- actually matter nationally. So give me your Texas, Kansas take after Kansas wins by one in overtime, 57-56. The word I think of is entitlement. Growing up, we both watched a lot of Texas football. We both grew up in this state. We watched Texas under Mac Brown win every year, it felt like. And I always expected Texas, no matter what happened, to win 10 games. Like It was the idea of Texas. Texas was a force. Texas was going to win every football game it played in. And even though we've reached a new era of Texas football, where Texas loses to Kansas twice in the last like five years, even though we're in a new era of Texas football, that Texas is a laughing stock nationally. They're like the butt of a joke about Texas being back. Like, I still feel like most people in Austin and most people that are Texas fans have the same expectations. They expect Texas to win. And I think the players are no different. And I think this program suffers from a serious entitlement issue. And it doesn't matter who's on the roster. It doesn't matter who's the coach until somebody changes that entitlement issue which I think Bo Davis was speaking directly towards last week with that controversial video, that this team isn't going to get any better. Going to the SEC is not going to change that. Money is not going to change that. The roster needs to change and the entitlement issue needs to change. And that's, that's all I can think coming out of that Kansas loss. I'm glad you mentioned the roster needing to change. I think that the Steve Sarkeesian era at Texas will be our first big time, real time experiment with the possibilities of the transfer portal and how you can turn over your roster. And I know it's not basketball. I know you're not going to get 66% of your starting lineup from the transfer portal. But with the possibility of what you can do in any given offseason, I think that is going to expedite the timeline for success. And I think that's going to change expectations. I think no longer is it you get three or you get four years, three at Texas if you're lucky. I think it's a two-year thing now. So let's see what happens this offseason. But I think nationally, that's the best thing I can say is there's a chance to turn things over. And I do think they're going to be successful in the portal. They're going to go after just about any position you can name. And I think they'll go after a big-time quarterback too. But look, they can't go They can't go 4-8 and eight next year in the SEC. And then I guess to your point, Chris, like in 2019, Texas needed the last second field goal to beat Kansas. Steve Sarkeesian hasn't broken anything. He just hasn't fixed anything yet. And it's, it's only just now week 12 of his first year. You know what I mean? Like this, this is not good at all. And I think he's going to have to make staff changes, but I think that it's maybe that that's the devil's advocate is like, was Texas where they fans wanted to be anyway? No, you had to take a shot at a new coach, but now let's see, let's see what he can do in an off season. Okay. 
we're we're done. We're uh, you know what? We'll 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 do a special Texas episode at some time in the next few months because I, I if, if we care to. Um, what else, Chris? So winners and losers from Saturday. It felt like the losers section was chock full, but I want to. We dunk on Michigan all the time, man. But twenty-one seventeen over Penn State. That Eric All touchdown. You described it as a butterfly effect potentially for the Wolverines. I did not think they had it in them to go down the field and, and score a touchdown. Three minutes left. They did it. Good for Jim Harbaugh. Good for Michigan. Still has everything ahead of it. Yeah, absolutely. I was. I have a couple of friends who are big Michigan supporters, and I was texting them after the game, and they were like, absolutely, no question. The biggest touchdown and the biggest drive of the Jim Harbaugh era. And speaking of butterfly effect moments, I always think of that 2016 play where JT Barrett got that controversial yard on fourth down in overtime. That's a, a win spot. that would have, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a win that would have sent Michigan to the Big Ten title game. It likely would have sent Michigan to the playoff and it would have totally changed everything about this era of Michigan football and the narrative that surrounds Jim Harbaugh. And I don't know if this is going to be that big. Like Michigan could well host Ohio State in two weeks and get destroyed again. And we're having the same conversations about Jim Harbaugh. But beating Penn State like this, toppling a narrative that has persisted for a long time. Um, I saw the two and nine stat against road AP ranked teams so many times on Saturday's broadcast. I think it's just huge for Michigan. It's huge for a new staff that almost completely turned over. It's huge for a Michigan program with a lot of recruiting momentum right now. And Michigan's probably going to finish 10 and two at worst in the regular season. They have a chance to go to the playoff. They have a chance to win a big 10 title. Everything's ahead of them. And I think that type of momentum with a new staff kind of in place around Jim Harbaugh is so, so critical for a program that was being dragged to the mud consistently the last couple of years. And it gives Jim Harbaugh a new lease on life. I'm going to say it. I don't, I, regardless of what happens against Ohio state, they can't, I mean, they got to keep Harbaugh. This, that's, that's my take on this. I like watching them play. They're tough. Oh, is that a question? Is that still a question? Do we, do no, we really think people not. are calling for Jim Harbaugh? I mean, I, I would hope not, but I don't think Michigan would do it, but I can't you imagine the graphics on the TV if they lose to Ohio State? It feels like there's a, a stat for everything. It's a stat for the re- overall record versus, versus top 10. It's a stat for top 25. It's a stat for the rivals. It's a stat for on the road. It's a stat for Ohio State. You know what I mean? I hope it's not a question, but I, I, I like watching them play. I'm going to be rooting for them the rest of the way. Chris, I got to just tell you now. Um, Haskins, you know, no Blake Corum. Guy rushes 31 times, 156 yards. Cade McNamara, no one wants to take him seriously yet as a starting quarterback. He gets it done. Fascinating to see what happens with him and J.J. McCarthy in the offseason. So I don't know if they're the best matchup for Ohio State, but I'll I'll be rooting for them. They're probably not. Probably not. Uh, (laughs) Speaking of Ohio State, let's do them real quick. Uh, 59-31 over Purdue. Your boy Garrett Wilson. Four total touchdowns? Yep. Yeah. Four total touchdowns. Had one on an end around for 57 yards. Uh, he's healthy and he looks like wide receiver one in college football. Well, sorry, John Dodson's probably wide receiver one or Jake London, but that Ohio State wide receiver room is ridiculous. Jackson Smith and Jigba is over a thousand yards for the season. Chris Olave somehow has been relegated to a third option, which is yeah. insane when you think about it. That Ohio State offense, like, I think if you're talking about best individual units in football, the Ohio State offense is right there with Georgia's defense as the number one unit in college football. The question is, can Ohio State's defense hold up? We saw Purdue get some chunk yarders through the air yesterday as well. And I do wonder what that'll look like against Michigan, Michigan State. And once Ohio State kind of gets to the playoff conversation, but that Ohio State offense is just... It's just so ridiculous right now with CJ Stroud humming the way he is. I watched a lot of that Purdue game. Purdue had some chances there. That should not have been 28 points. I'll just say that. And I, you know, Chris, I would love to see them play Wisconsin in the Big Ten title game too. You know, as far as defenses go, Wisconsin overtook Georgia for the total uh, defensive yards per play all season uh, average. 
which is remarkable. I mean, you know, they they played Northwestern. Georgia, uh, Georgia played Tennessee. So let's 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 talk about that one too. Can, um, can you imagine if any of Ohio State's quarterbacks, like any, pick one of the four was on Wisconsin? Like, yeah, yeah, sorry. No. Well, you know what though, Wisconsin's found what it's. You know, Graham Mertz has been a little bit more effective. Than Braylon Allen, true freshman running back. So next yeah, Braylon there. awesome. Yeah, they're doing what they they're doing what they do. Okay, Georgia forty-one, Tennessee seventeen. Is it weird that my take here is that did Tennessee possibly provide a blueprint for moving the ball on Georgia? Yes or no? I think so. Um, I think Alabama can do some of that stuff. Well, I think what Tennessee does really well is they run that kind of year and shoot the Art Brown system that he made famous to Baylor, which is spread the field as wide as possible. They go fast and then they push the ball to the boundaries and they run instead of like they run a lot of inside running plays, but a lot of their stuff is quick outs to the outside on those kind of short screens. You get Georgia's defense kind of spread out as far as possible, and you can potentially get the ball to your playmakers in space. And Georgia, their strength is their front seven, and their strength is the front seven, especially the front four, that rotates in and out so aggressively. They can, they're essentially like a hockey team. They can make line changes three deep and not really suffer uh, from making those substitutions. And when Tennessee's going as fast as it was, and when Tennessee's spreading the field out the way they did, it brings up two weaknesses. One, Georgia can't substitute the way it usually does, so the defensive linemen get a little more tired. And two, Georgia's secondary, while very, very good, they are very, very good. I'm not trying to dismiss Georgia's secondary. is not as good as the front seven. Like, there are some question marks in Georgia's secondary that you don't find in the dominant front seven. And I think Tennessee showed that you can move the ball in Georgia, and there are going to be more talented teams ahead for Georgia, specifically Alabama, like you mentioned. We did a lot of guys go down on Saturday. Uh, Devontae Wyatt for a second. Uh, Jordan Davis. I don't know. Yeah, those look like legit injuries. So let's keep an eye on that. Um, I also think it's remarkable, though. Tennessee plays better than anyone has played against Georgia all season, I guess, with the exception of Clemson. Better offensively, at least. That's the most yards, 387 total that Georgia's given up all year. And Georgia's still covered, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like absolutely. All the things you just talked about probably don't matter. And Stetson Bennett. I think Stetson Bennett good. does matter, though. I, man, hey, Chris, I, he looked good, man. His, his, I think his legs give that offense an element they did not expect to have coming into this season. Yeah, but there's still, I mean, maybe I'm just being too harsh on Stetson Bennett, who was a great story. And I think we should probably appreciate Stetson Bennett for what he is, which is one of the more amazing walk on stories we've seen in college football. Probably the most amazing walk on story we've seen since Baker Mayfield. Like, it's incredible. But, like, I just really think Georgia. Georgia's schedule has been so bad this year. Like when you think about where Florida is right now, you think about where Clemson is. Like, I just really wonder what Stetson Bennett's going to look like if he has to play Alabama. I'm going to wonder what Stetson Bennett's going to look like if he has to play, I don't know, like Oregon. I don't, well, I just, we, I just think it's going to be a problem. We, we and maybe it won't matter, but yeah, I don't I think it, think I don't think it does. We saw Stetson last year versus Alabama. It wasn't good, but this defense he's got is a little bit different. Let's, let's talk about Florida real quick as we make our way through the SEC. And we're going to start going a little bit faster here. I mentioned the fruit basket. That's that's because Florida was the talk of the day until Texas blew it against Kansas. And, and you know, I mean, shoot, man, we were getting our Dan Mullen fired stuff ready to go at halftime when Florida was losing. They gave up what, like 42 points to FCS Samford at half. I don't know if Todd Grantham was the problem. Emory Jones saved him six touchdowns. They ended up winning by 18. It feels like... I don't know if Florida wins out. I kind of thought they had to. I don't even know if it matters anymore. Yeah, man. Like Florida gave up a record in the swamp. They had never given up 42 points in the first half at home. They gave up 42 points in the first half at home to Stanford. Not not Stanford, Stanford. And Florida's offense played amazing. Like Evan Jones is great. Florida scored 70 points. I think most SEC teams, if you put up 70 points in a week, are pretty happy. But Florida's fans are oh, FCS. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. no. You said that. I'm just saying it's an FCS. Like, we're not going to sit here and be like, Florida's offense played amazing. 
Well, I mean, still, like Florida scored 70 points and because they Florida had fans to, are, but Florida fans are pissed. And I think that just exemplifies. Be. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not arguing it's that. I just think it exemplifies where we are with Dan Mullen. Like, I just that. Yeah, man, like that defense looked like it didn't want to be there on Saturday. Dan Mullen, in a lot of ways, has looked like he doesn't want to be there. There's a reason he was talking to NFL teams last year. Like he doesn't want to recruit the way he has to. Uh, to be successful in the SEC, like he is a scheme guy. He don't know if he wants to deal with everything that comes with being Florida's head coach. It, it looks like it right now. The team just looks like it laid down, and so did Dan Mullen. It's it's honestly shocking given where Florida was at this point twelve months ago. Florida was in position to win the SEC until that shoe got thrown, and then they lost by possession to one of the best uh, college football teams we've seen in a decade. And now they're almost losing to Sanford. It is an incredible fall from grace. Arkansas cardiac hogs won on a field goal in overtime, 16 to 13 over LSU. Mississippi State erased a 28 to 3 deficit at Auburn. They won 43 24. You had the Bulldogs as one of your winners in college football overtime, one of your three winners. So let's let's stop there for a little for a little second. Air raids working. That's that's your that's your take, right? Will Rogers, six touchdowns. It's pretty remarkable. I remember when Mike Leach was hired, I applauded it because at a place like Mississippi State, where you're inherently at a disadvantage compared to every other team in the SEC West in terms of resources, recruiting grounds, maybe outside of Arkansas, that you have to do something different. And Mississippi State did something different with Mike Leach. They brought in a pure air raid to the SEC and it's working. Like we made fun of the air raid a lot last year when Mississippi State struggled after kind of the early season upset of LSU. But this has been like six or seven straight weeks of Will Rogers being extremely successful after a bumpy start to the year. Uh, I just think of uh, that Memphis game early in the season and a couple other ones that just didn't go well. But Mississippi State now has wins over NC State, Texas A&M, and Auburn, which are three of the better wins you'll find in college football this year. And this team is really good. Like, I I think that Ole Miss game, the Egg Bowl, is going to be amazing. And Mike Leach is getting stuff done right now in year two. Yeah, speaking of Ole Miss, I was on the wrong side of that. Ole Miss, I mean... Shoot, uh, props a and for coming back because I didn't think they had it in them at all um, in a 29-19 loss. And I know Calzada threw a pick six in the fourth quarter that made that thing look a little bit different. But at eight and two, Ole Miss is going to move up the rankings. Got a New Year's Six Bowl to play for in that Egg Bowl, I think, Chris. Is your take on that game from the Grove more of a pro Ole Miss? And it's I got to say, I know he's like at 50%. I, I never in my life would have imagined if you told me in August that Ole Miss would beat Texas A&M by 10 and Matt Corral would have accounted for just one touchdown. He hasn't accounted for more for two or more touchdowns since the Tennessee game a month ago. So the Ole Miss defense picked off Calzada twice. They played really well. They got stops when they, when they needed to. They kept A&M at bay all the way until the third quarter. A&M finally got things going with Achain. I, I think that's a, a, a well-rounded and as nice a win as you'll find for Ole Miss. Yeah, absolutely. Two quick takes. Ole Miss's defense played probably its best football game for the last half decade. And you gotta give you gotta give that unit a lot of credit. Like that was the unit holding Ole Miss back, and they played an excellent football game against Texas AM throughout. The other thing I want to say is like I don't have Matt Corral in my eyes in top five, and I know the stats haven't been there the last four or five weeks since he got injured. But week to week, I am not more I am more impressed by Matt Corral as a football player than almost anybody in the country. He is gritty. He just finds a way to get things done. He doesn't really make a lot of mistakes. And that was his big criticism last year. And I think he's QB one pretty easily in uh, 2022 in terms of the draft. He has been he's been excellent, even if the numbers don't always support that. 
Well, your QB one take goes back to something Kevin Boiler and I talked about a few weeks ago where it's it's not a great year in the NFL to need a quarterback. But I digress. And, and maybe here's a segue to that. Wake Forest beat NC State by three. I think they're going to clinch that division in the ACC. They got to beat Clemson this weekend. That won't be easy. Sam Hartman, he's pretty good. Three for three touchdowns, also three for three interceptions. I think he's got a few turnover issues the last few weeks. He had a, that bad pick last week to kind of cost him the UNC game. So let's keep an eye on that storyline. And of course, that defense isn't very good. They picked off Devin Leary twice, but also surrendered, surrendered four touchdowns. I got to say, I didn't watch this one because it's on the ACC network and we had some things going on Saturday night, but I, I plan on rewatching it this week. Yeah, I watched I watched quite a bit of it. Um, NC State did what it usually does, which is try to run the football. Doesn't do that very effectively, so they just give the ball to Devin Leary, and it worked out a lot better. Wake Forest won the game because its defense stepped up after turnovers in a way that NC State's did not. They both had three. Uh, Wake Forest scored on one of them right afterwards. Uh, NC State did not get any points off of turnovers. Wake Forest is very much in the driver's seat for the ACC Atlantic. Um, that loss last week that Wake Forest had did not actually count for the uh, standings. So Wake Forest six and zero in the Atlantic right now. The game next week over Clemson actually has some stakes. Like Clemson can still technically win the Atlantic. They have to win out. Wake Forest has to lose out, but Wake Forest still has to play Boston College on the road as well. So that game next week at Clemson is really pretty interesting for the ACC Atlantic standings. Yeah, and as far as the coastal goes, Pitt had that fun win Thursday night over North Carolina. It's got a one-game lead in the standings with two weeks to go. Virginia's the the second team in the standings, and Virginia does not have Brennan Armstrong right now. That they had a, a, a tough loss at home to Notre Dame. I think that's pretty much that. And, and those two teams will play this weekend as well. So fun fun matchups all around in week thirteen uh, or week twelve. Chris, Big Twelve wise, let's go back real quick to to Waco, Texas. Now Baylor won twenty seven fourteen. The headline's going to be the Lincoln Riley on the late Baylor field goal. You know, Dave Aranda says he was trying to get a tiebreaker edge. Lincoln Riley says he doesn't agree with it. I don't know if I really care that much about it. Game-wise, <laughs> this was OU's lowest output yardage-wise under Lincoln Riley. Dave Aranda is... I feel bad saying this because like he's doing a great job at Baylor, so I don't really want him to like, make it the Dave Aranda should get the USC job podcast, but he's just a really damn good football coach. Yeah, easy guy to root for, too. Anybody who's ever talked to Dave Aranda or listened to Dave Aranda speak um, comes away very impressed by Dave Aranda. He's not, he's not what you usually think of as a football coach. He is extremely reserved, an extremely critical thinker, especially in public, uh, and he really chews on every single word he says. Like He gives you an honest non-coach speak answer in a way that most coaches don't. And it's hard not to like him. And he has proven to be a hell of a football coach or a hell of a head coach. We knew he was one of the nation's best coordinators from his time at LSU. And he has, he has Lincoln Riley's number. Like you go yeah. back to LSU uh, last year, Baylor made Oklahoma's life miserable as well. And this Oklahoma team, like I really thought it would come out after the bye week and blow the doors off Baylor. I thought this Oklahoma team would kind of coalesce. The defense is more healthy. Caleb Williams seemed to have improved that offense. Like I thought they would be much better and Baylor just really put Oklahoma in its place. And Oklahoma kind of is what it is at this point. It's a very flawed football team. Caleb Williams does not solve all of Oklahoma's offensive issues, especially along the offensive line. The defense still gives up too many yards on the ground. The defense still has some problems in the secondary and Oklahoma is going to have to probably, I, I don't know the exact standings, but if Oklahoma loses to Oklahoma state, there's a decent chance Oklahoma misses out on the big 12 title game, which would be crazy when you think yeah. about the expectations this team had entering the year. 
Uh, I think the rest of the Big 12 would just be absolutely tickled for OU and Texas to not make the Big 12 championship game in their in their final in what I think is their final season in Big 12 play. And Oklahoma State's an absolute wagon. 63-17, they blasted TCU. Chris, we're going to do the Pac-12 really quick, and then I want to do a few G5s, and then we're going to get out of here because we're, we're running along. I think my biggest takeaway from Pac-12 football two things. We're recording this Sunday morning. We're not going to do an emergency episode when it happens, but wouldn't be surprised by the time you're listening to this on Monday morning, if Jimmy Lake's been fired for cause. So we'll do something on that this week. His Washington Huskies, which he did not coach, of course, blew a lead over Arizona State. Arizona State won by five. So let's just, you know, the, the Jimmy Lake, I think we all know what, what Washington's been up to all week, Chris. They've been fact finding some dirt. And I, I think that's just a really unfortunate situation all around uh, for Jimmy Lake. But Oregon, back to the on-field stuff in the Pac-12. Only thing I want to throw out here, Oregon looked pretty good. 38-24 over Washington State. It was a sneaky, it was a popular upset pick for a lot of people. Washington State at least covered. I think it would have been more Oregon got robbed on a goal line fumble in which the ESPN didn't have enough cameras at the game to get a good goal line view. Anthony Brown rushed. This was a nice wrinkle for Oregon. He rushed a lot, 17 times, 123 yards, one touchdown. We'll see if he does that next week in the game plan against Utah. Yeah, Anthony Brown is at his best when he's on the move, and we saw the best of Anthony Brown. We've actually really seen Joe Moorhead make a difference. Like You can you can tell he's been calling plays the last couple of weeks compared to what the offense looked like without him when he was out with an illness. So the game next week against Utah is the biggest of the Pac-12 season. Um, Oregon will not have a more difficult test um, than on the road at Utah. And if Oregon wins that game, the Pac-12 is an excellent position to send the team to the college football playoff for the first time since 2016. Yeah, agreed. SMU had a big win over Central Florida. I mentioned that not for national football relevance, but because of the Sonny Dykes job situation. I think he's going to take the TCU job, but if he was going to, Chris, the optics... They can't well, take a guy on a three-game losing streak, especially with Cincinnati next week. So that was big for them, for him. Yeah, to win and the interesting, game. the interesting thing is the other, the other coach really in the mix of TCU is Billy Napier, and they have quietly won, I believe, nine in a row since losing to Texas to open the year. So pretty interesting G five mix there with Billy Napier and Sonny gone head to head for that job, basically. Yeah, Cincinnati also won on Friday night, forty-five twenty-eight over South Florida. It's a fourth straight game they haven't covered. I think next week against SMU will give us a better idea of, of this team. Does so, no real need to spend any time on that. You got anything G five wise you want to throw out before we get out of here? Uh, the committee should rank Houston, which is one I think nine in a row since losing to Texas Tech to open the season. UTSA survived a real scare from Southern Miss. Um, Frank Gore Jr. was playing quarterback for most of the game trip. It was yeah. actually it was really fun. It was awesome. And San Diego State kind of keeps winning. They mm-hmm. edged out uh, Carson Strong in Nevada at the last minute on a Saturday night. They kicked a field goal with about a minute 22 to go. And they stopped Carson Strong on second and two, third and two, and fourth and two consecutive plays around midfield to win the game. And San Diego State just keeps finding a way to win. Yeah. Uh, one other thing to throw out at you. Coastal Carolina lost 42 to 40 to Georgia State. They don't have Grayson McCall. It doesn't sound like they're going to get him back the reg- for the rest of the regular season. So eight and two. Two regular season losses. It's a, it's a tough, tough. Uh, a lot of people down there thought they were going to go undefeated. So I was one of those life. people. Yeah. Yep. Why doesn't Jeff Grimes get more consideration for head coaching jobs? What he's done the last few years at Baylor and at BYU has just been incredible. And I just I forgot to say that during the Baylor segment, so I wanted to at least throw that out there. Well, I appreciate you doing that. Uh, that's Chris Summer. Thanks for joining us, Chris. Always fun to talk. Long Sunday episodes. Good to have you on, especially for the this Texas breakdown. Our producer is Lance Glenn. Appreciate you, Lance. 
And my name is Trey Scott. Have a great Monday, probably a very busy week to come on the College Football Daily. We enter the stretch run. So make sure you subscribed and uh, leaving us five-star reviews. Tired of the one-star reviews saying that we're Texas Hummers. People are, uh, I think people are trolling the uh, review section. Anyway, we will talk to you on Tuesday for the next edition of the College Football Daily. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.